Welcome to the Eastern Current Saltwater Fishing Podcast presented by Outdoors by Owner. OBO helps the outdoorsman find the perfect home to rent for their next outdoor pursuit. Whether you're looking for a house right on the shallow water flats of Florida Bay with world-class sight fishing right out your back door, or you want to find a weekend mountain getaway for you and your family, OBO has the house for you. To check out all their incredible properties, visit go-obo.com. On today's podcast, I chat with legendary captain and angler Ryan Harrington. We discuss spring tarpon fishing as well as Ryan's travels to chase billfish around the globe. If you haven't already, be sure to check out Eastern Current on Patreon. There you'll be able to find our weekly Ramp Talk podcast where my guide buddies and I discuss our day-to-day fishing on the way to the boat ramp in the morning. I've teamed up with Florida Fishing Products to outfit my guide service with their spinning reels, braided line, and fluorocarbon leader, and I'm looking forward to giving you some real-world feedback on their gear. I've been enjoying their Osprey CE for all my light tackle, redfish, and speckled trout, and Resolute for my beefier setups for big reds, cobia, tarpon, and jacks. I'm looking forward to helping further their mission to equip anglers to fish better, which couldn't align closer with our values here at Eastern Current. Be sure to check out their website, floridafishingproducts.com, or ask about them at your local tackle shop. Temple Fork Outfitters is the rod of choice for all of us here at Eastern Current. Whether we're fly fishing for shallow water redfish, sight casting to cobia from a tower, or dropping live pinfish to grouper in 100 feet of water, they have the rod for the job. Their customer service is unmatched by any rod company out there, and their rods can take the beating of everyday guide use without any issues. My favorite rod for redfish and speckled trout is their 7-foot medium-light tactical inshore spin rod. Be sure to check out their website, tforods.com. Ryan, what's going on, man? Thankful to have you on the podcast. I know we've tried here for a few weeks. You're a busy man. I've got a halfway busy schedule as well, and that makes it tough to sometimes lock down a down a date. But, man, it sounds like you got some weather, and, and we've got the the um, blessing to be able to have you on the podcast and chat. So thank you, man. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, looking forward to this. And, um, yeah, I know we've, uh, we've tried multiple times. So, unfortunately, on the water, it's not the best day. But uh, for something, you know, doing something like this, it's perfect. Yeah, make a little bit, per- make the day kind of productive, if you will. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, man, so Ryan, your last name is pronounced Harrington, right? Right, Captain Ryan Harrington? Correct. Okay, sweet. So, yep. um, I, I would, I would recommend, I would assume that a lot of people that are listening to this podcast probably know who you are or follow you. Um, but, but I want to hear your story kind of from how your fishing started as a kid and, and how it's brought you to where you are now. And, and like we talked about before the show, you're definitely a very diverse angler slash guide, if you will. Uh, and, and covering a lot of depths of water, I think is a good way to look at it, which is kind of a lot to keep up with and stay on top of, but I think you do a good job of it. And I'm excited to get into that, but let's start with the basics, start with the story of, of how you fell in love with fishing and, and how it's brought you to a uh, life in fishing. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I was born on a, a tiny Island, uh, called Tierra Verde, uh, in, in Tampa Bay down by Fort DeSoto. Uh, now, now it's, it's well known, you know, 3000 homes out there and, uh, it's, Wow. It's a fishing destination and, you know, beach area. So people, uh, they definitely know, know about it now, but I was born out there in 1981 when it was, uh, I mean, literally Sanspers and not a whole lot, you know, there. Uh, so it's kind of <laughs> desolate Highland. And, uh, I was born and raised out there in a, in a town home, uh, and blessed enough. My, my dad's from Wisconsin. So he, uh, yeah, his fishing background was completely different than what we have here. Uh, but say. one of our neighbors, yeah. So, <laughs> 
one of the uh, the neighbors uh, in the townhouse, he was a, a Ford dealer, uh, Bill Curry Ford here in Tampa. And uh, he, he had a big 55-foot um, Hatteras, you know, sport fish. And uh, it's kind of cool. So I would, as a kid at two or three years old, you know, I would just walk up and down the seawall and, uh, you know, fish, you know, whatever I, whatever I could catch. You know, I was probably fishing before I could walk. I uh, just sitting out there with, with dead shrimp, probably catching catfish or whatever, but uh, fell in love with it at a very young age. And uh, was completely blessed, uh, you know, to have uh, to have Bill Curry as a neighbor. So he he kind of took me under his wing, almost like a, a grandpa figure. Um, and it's kind of kind of funny. And I think that's where I got my diversity at a very young age. Um, I learned how to fish, you know, trial and error off of the seawall. Uh, but when he would uh, when he would be on the boat sitting there, I would run to the boat and, and just flip through every fishing magazine he had. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, and I think you know, yeah, before the internet or anything, so I would just flip through and, you know, ask him, Hey, you know, Mr. Bill, what, what kind of fish is this? And what is this? And just kind of fell in love with like literally every, every fish that was in those magazines. Man, so uh, that cool. was kind of, cool. yeah, that, that was the start of the, the passion, if you will. And then, you know, growing up there, fished more and more every day, got, you know, got a little, little John boat, uh, started going out on my own. Um, and that was kind of, you know, pre-internet. So it was a ton of trial and error. Uh, and I'm not saying it's any better or worse than kids these days. You know, it's it's kind of nice that they can go on the internet, sit in their house, and and kind of you know get that same passion and and actually learn a lot more. I think the learning curve is definitely shortened up you know, nowadays. For sure, it's uh it is it has definitely changed quite a bit. You know, between between now and then, as far as kids getting into fishing. But um, what would you say? When was the moment that you were really hooked? Was there a species or a certain day of fishing where you're like, "Wow, this is I love doing this." Yeah, I'd say. Uh, so again, I you know I kind of cut my teeth with uh, with Bill Curry and that sport fish. So I, the inshore fishing I did was was you know off the seawall on the dock. Uh, but then at at 12 years old, I actually uh, was in my first um, you know billfish series uh, or billfish tournament, uh, which is is pretty young and especially on this coast, uh, we're not we're not blessed with, uh, you know, being able to run out in a, in a half day and, and troll for, you know, pelagics. It's uh, it was a commitment, especially back then. So that was uh three and a half days straight, you know, 120 miles offshore. Uh, so it was, uh, that, that, that trip could have gone two ways, I guess, you know, eight foot seas one of the days. And, uh, it was, you know, dangerous for anyone, especially a 12 year old. So I'd, I wouldn't probably look back and blame myself if I got to the dock and, you know, never fished again, but, uh, we ended up having a, <laughs> a good day and i just remember you know the, the first the first blue marlin you see that's uh that's an adrenaline rush and i've seen hundreds since then and i i get that that exact same passion from when i was 12 years old so that's uh that's the, the spark you know that that kind of started it all and uh and has, hasn't faded at all and it's luckily for me it's not just on those big pelagics and the marlin uh blessed the fish in, in costa rica a lot and you know other places but um yeah i, I still get that same feeling whether it's myself or even clients, you know, putting them on a, a big fired up Tampa Bay redfish. Um, you know, there's just that drag peel and it doesn't always have to be a 400 pound Marlin for me. It's, right. Uh, for sure. So yeah. what, what became a uh, profession first? Was it the offshore fishing or the inshore fishing or, or what, what did that look like for you when you took it to, you know, be becoming, uh, how you made your living? Yeah. So, um, I actually went, went to college for international economics at UCS and, um, came back and, uh, you know, being in Orlando, that was, that was, landlocked and way too far from salt water so then i kind of knew like hey i was meant to be doing something on the water um <laughs> with that said though i came back and i actually did uh, i did real estate for uh for about 12 years like full time 
um, which is, that's my dad's profession. I kind of fell into that. And, um, I, I liked it. I can't say that I loved it. Um, it was one of those things, you know, that had its ups and downs but I, and I stuck with it. Um, but it, it is funny cause I got my, got my, uh, charter license or, you know, my captain's license and I was able to run charters. And it's funny because in real estate, you know, every time the market got hot, uh, it seemed like every bartender in town would get their license and kind of cherry pick, you know, the good times. Yeah. Um, and there I was grinding it full time and it, it kind of would make me upset and I'd say, Hey, you know, if you're going to do something, do something full time. And then here I am with a, you know, starter license on the side and I was, I was cherry picking the, the good clients or the good days. And I, I literally, after 12 years in real estate, I, I woke up one day and I said, you know what? I said, I'm my own biggest hypocrite. Like here I am, if I'm going to do something, <laughs> I'm going to do it full time. So that, that was, uh, probably got 12, 12 or 14 years ago. Now I, I, it was literally one day that I woke up and I, I never did a sale after that. I was just uh, full blown and committed to, to just charter fishing. Um, and I, Kind of, kind of got my start. You know, inshore uh, is still my bread and butter. So, inshore in Tampa Bay is, is you know, full time for me. Yeah. What What is uh What's kind of your main go to in Tampa Bay as as far as a fishery? What would you say is is the big selling point and big draw to an inshore fisherman to either come there and fish themselves or, or to book a trip? Yeah, I mean, our, our our main thing, and it seems like it's growing more and more uh, each year, is definitely our, our tarpon fishery here. Um, so, you know, 12 months a year, we have our snook trout and redfish. Um, that's kind of our, kind of our go-to bread and butter, but, uh, starting almost now, you know, uh, May, June and July, especially those three months, um, I'll focus on nothing but, uh, tarpon. I think this year I'm, I'm scheduled to run 80, 82 or 86 days in a row. Um, you know, nothing but tarpon. That's just every day. Yeah. That's awesome. That those it's tarpon are amazing fish, man. And it's crazy, um, how, addicting they are i mean to any angler uh, that you know whether they've saltwater fish or not it's just the fish that seems to draw the most attention at least in the you know the united states and um i would say it's probably ruined more marriages probably caused more people to spend you know more money than they should have at the tackle shop and travel maybe when they shouldn't have but it's just something about that fish is so addicting and that's whenever i bring up tarpon with people i always like to ask like to you what is it about tarpon that you feel like is such an an addicting fish such a cool fish to pursue yeah it's uh i think the fact you know they're they're just their general size you know it's uh there's not many fish you know we get them in shallow water off the beach you know we're four or five foot of water you know attached to a 180 pound animal that's uh that's, that's pretty rare in itself um uh, but I, I think too, the fact that they're, you know, they're what a hundred and something, 160 million years old. I mean, they're older than dinosaurs. Right. Uh, it's just cool that that, that fish itself, um, is just kind of built for survival. Um, uh, just everything about them, their scales, their eyes, their fin shape. Uh, you know, the fact that they have an air bladder, it can breathe the air. Uh, just, just literally, you know, everything about that species is, is meant for survival. And, you know, when, when you're lucky enough to hook into one and, and jump it, it's, uh, it's, that's, that's a fish that I don't think would ever get old. Um, there's not many people I've ever talked to or hopefully ever will that say, will say, Hey, I've caught enough tarp and I never want to see one again. Right. That's <laughs> the truth. Yep. That's, uh, that's, that's very well put, man. It's, uh, there's times where I'm like, man, I don't want to pull another one of those right now, but I definitely am not done catching them. That's for sure. Um, yeah, and it's the pursuit for a guide fish. I love it because I personally I'm okay if I never you know land another one all the way to the boat. Um, but there's something about getting you know feeling that bite and jumping that fish. Um, that's 
that's something my mate uh, last year didn't believe me when I said, I said, look, you'll never see me, you know, bring another one to the boat. He kind of, he thought I was joking, but when we had the, the free hour here and there and did fish, you know, everyone I jumped, I, I just, I love jumping them and, and that's it. I'll break them off after that and, you know, hopefully jump another one. Right. For sure. For sure. The, the, the bite and that, that first 30 seconds, really the first 12 seconds of a tarpon is, is where it's all so much fun. And it is fun. I feel like for anglers to pull on big fish, you know, someone who, who hasn't necessarily caught a big fish. Yeah. The drag screaming is great and all that, but actually the learning aspect of like how to apply pressure, where to apply pressure, when to apply pressure, you know, in different angles, I feel like there's so much you can learn from it, but also, it's uh, it, it is work <laughs> when you start. It's yeah. nice to have like a thirty pound fish, forty pound fish is great because it's like you can pull them for a little bit and, and get used to you know play play the angle game a little bit and then have them to the boat. But when you get into that hundred class pound, hundred pound class, it's a little bit different. You got to work for them oh, a little yeah. more. Yeah, that's the other thing too. You know about about tarpon. Um, I get a lot of clients that are, are really good fishermen. You know, maybe flying from out of the state or out of the country, and they're they're really good anglers and I, I can see during a 15 or a 30 or 45 minute fight during a tarpon. I think that they, they learn so much about the sport in general. Um, and you brought up the fact, you know, working the angles, you know, as they're doing it, I'm kind of walking them through like, you know, and even fighting fish, uh, you're fighting every fish, but when you fight, let's say a snooker or redfish, it doesn't feel like a battle or a fight. You know, right, you fight right. a tarpon. And there's a lot of like emotions about it. Am I going to give up? Am I going to last another five minutes? I mean, it, it's truly like fighting a fish. And then, like you said about anglers, you know, being, a, and that's why I tell people, I go, look, move the rod left or right, do this. And I said, just work the angle of that rod. And they go, that's why you're, you're called an angler. That's what it's about is, is that, that rod tip working the line to that fish's mouth and work the angles. And it's, it's funny people, it, even good, good fishermen and good anglers, it opens their eyes. I think it's a, a learning curve during that fight. Um, you kind of appreciate the whole fishery in general. That's true. And I got to be honest, I'm mind blown because I've, I've, when you just said that, I don't think I've ever actually thought about the word angler and that that's, that's the meaning behind it. Like yeah. it, it, it makes so much sense. And I've always just said angler and, you know, never really thought about the fact that that's what it's talking about. But, um, it's, but yeah, it's that, cool. Yeah. Yeah, especially during a fight when you, you know when when people rise, they go, okay. I mean, you go look. You got a seven and a half or an eight foot rod in your in your hand. If you don't have that angle on that fish, or you know, the the more you can angle the fish, the the shorter the fight. It, it is a really cool um, thing. And the, the same thing. I was probably um, a charter guide for five or six years and really really fell in love with it before. You know, the same thing. How you just open your eyes. So wow, that's what angler means. Um, I mean, I was kind of that way. I was. I was naive to being a charter guide. Um, and I, I was like, man, I really, really love this. Like, it's almost like I'm out here teaching people this and that. And I realized I'm like, Hey, a guide, like, you know, nature guide guides you to, to see animals. And I was like, wow, fishing, you know, guide, if you look at the word, it's almost like a teacher, um, yeah. you know, guiding people out there to fish. And it's, it's <laughs> kind of cool. We take for granted what we do, but, uh, pretty cool profession for sure it really is man i feel like a lot of guides miss that i'm not well i'm not gonna say that but i feel like it would be easy to miss as a guide the fact that we have such a cool platform to be able to teach and to be able to instruct people you know and and how to catch fish how to target fish but also how to you know be you know focus on conservation and healthy landings of tarpon if you will and and letting them go and whatnot it's it's a people book a trip you know because they don't know what hopefully the guide knows you know, as they're going out in the water and they're going to be able to experience something new and different. So they're already putting themselves in a place of, of wanting to learn. So it's, it's, it is important as a guide to be, 
you know, a teacher and, and, and to know what you're talking about. And I feel like that, yeah, that's a, that's a cool and, and kind of a scary part of the job is like, you know, hopefully we can, we can live up to, to what we're, what we're trying to push and teach these people. But, uh, talking about fighting big fish, how would you say the, you know, catching pelagic fish and whatnot, do you see any transfer over with, with fighting those fish or does it end up being completely different, you know, as you're using different types of tackle and rods and fighting it from a larger boat, um, is there any type of relation between the two or, or whatnot? Yeah. Um, so that there is, and, and what's funny, you know, I do a lot of international, uh, fishing. So I'm in, I'm in Costa Rica a couple months a year, uh, fishing you know, the keys, the Bahamas, and I travel quite a bit, um, to do you know, a lot of the billfish tournaments. Um, yeah. and it's, it's almost a loaded question as far as, uh, you know, 15, 20 years ago, there was mostly all kill tournaments. Um, so you were, you were using, you know, 80 wide reels, uh, you know, 80 to hundred pound test. And basically you were fighting a, a big blue marlin or something until you could, you know, just put a flying gaff in it and kill it. Um, so the whole, the whole technique of that technique of that fight was way completely different all the way down to the tackle we used, even the boats, the, the skill level of the captain, the, you know, there, there's so many different things that now we're, we're focused on catch and release. Um, we went from, you know, trying to target one big blue marlin out there on a three day tournament and kill it and hopefully get something over 500 pounds. Um, now on these point system releases, um, you actually don't want that long fight. You really don't even want that big fish. It's almost like we're targeting uh, different size of the same species. Gotcha. Um, so for instance, in, in Costa Rica, um, the boat plays a huge part of the fight. Um, you know, inshore, you could, you can catch just as many fish getting outside the boat and waiting as you would standing on the boat. It's basically just a, a platform that you're using. Right. Uh, but on, on this, uh, it's catch and release, like in Costa Rica, um, you know, the triple crown tournament there, if you're going to be a contender in the top three, uh, you're releasing, you know, between 20 and 25, uh, billfish a day. Wow. So you're looking for, you know, 50 or 60 in a, in a tournament. Um, and there's no way, you know, even if it's a charter, if someone came down to Costa Rica and, and charter fish for a sailfish, you're going to kind of play that fish differently. Let the client, you know, let them peel drag and, you know, let them wear out the fish a little bit so you can grab, uh, not only the leader, but, you know, end up grabbing the fish and hold it in the water for a picture. But, you know, on these catch and release tournaments, our average fight on a sailfish is under two minutes. Wow. Um, you know, from the, the bite to the leader touch, but that's, and, and, you know, if we get one, we're disappointed. So you got six baits out there. You're trying to get multiples, you know, two, three, even four on at a time if you can. And then the boat is literally backing down to the fish, um, you know, reason like 20 foot leaders. So the, the mate just grabs the leader touch and, and pops it off and you try to get more. So it's, it's definitely evolved out there. Um, you know, I think the boats play a very integral part to offshore fishing. Um, even the harmonics of your props and everything else. It's, uh, it's a whole ball game. So as far, as far different as, you know, inshore and offshore can be, there's also a ton of the same similarities. Um, you know, they're different species that have different habits, but they're fish with a mouth and a tail. Right. Um, so it's kind of, it's a learning experience, you know, for a lot of, a lot of patients. Um, you know, I think it's very, very easy to overthink fishing and put too much, uh, thought into colors and tides and barometer and, you know, color and all, just all kinds of stuff. Um, and then it's, you know, sometimes you can dumb it down too much and sit in a spot with the same bait and, and, uh, and miss a bite. So it's finding that fine tune. Um, and that, that's true no matter what species, even freshwater, saltwater, you know, six inches of water, 600 fathoms. Uh, yeah. it's kind of, 
kind of the the fun part about getting out. It's what brings you know anglers together all over the world that that target different species. We still have a you know a little similar um, you know path there for sure. So I've got to know getting a sailfish to the boat in two minutes. What does that look like as a team? Like what has to happen? What are you doing to to land a billfish like that that quickly? Yeah, so um, it's uh, when we're down there, you know, the tournament, it's a three-day tournament, but we'll go down a week or two early um, and practice. It's it's kind of cool. Um, you know, we're pre-fishing, but I would say practice is almost a better word. Um, you know, obviously, we're, we're looking for where the fish are and everything, but if you have a team of, of six anglers, uh, we, we all hold a rod. So you have, you know, everyone kind of has a position. Imagine almost like a basketball team. Yeah. Uh, so, for instance, like I, I'll run like the the right flat a lot of times. So I'm, I kind of have a set position, if you will. Um, but the more we're out there, the more like multiple hookups we can get, or or things like that. It's it's kind of like if if the right flat, if I get a bite, uh, everyone knows how to rotate around because I want to I want to not necessarily fight that fish right off the bat. I want to get him hooked. Um, but then we're try- we leave all the other baits in the water and do a turn around that fish. Uh, sometimes we'll do ter- two full turns around that fish, um, keep our trolling speed up to see if he's got buddies with him and we can get multiple hookups. Gotcha. Uh, but it's it's almost like a choreographed, like a basketball team is the best way I can say it because we, the more you do it with the same people, the more, actually the less you talk. So you, you realize, okay, he's going to rotate to this side of the boat. You move here. I mean, it's it's almost like a set play in basketball. Um, and it then, sounds like it's, I mean, it sounds cliche, but a dance, if you will, like everyone's got steps to take and, and it yeah. flows pretty seamlessly if you practice well. For sure. That's yeah. hundred percent. Um, even some of the Kingfish teams here, if you look the, um, the, the teams that always kind of are in the top five, um, you know, for instance, like we have a huge tournament King of the beach here. It's like four or 500 boats in it. And, uh, generally it's going to be the same, the same top five boats, give or take. And it's usually the guys that have fished together for, you know, decades. Um, and it's, it's kind of the same thing even on king fishing. It's yeah. the more, the more familiar you are with your team and, you know, Hey, if a fish hits here, then this guy's probably going to move here and, and do this. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's not your average weekend warrior that, that puts that much time into it. Right. I'm saying that they don't have the same success, but it's, uh, it's, it's a pretty good, good, uh, choreography and dance is a good word, but basically, you know, answer your question. Once we get our fish on, we're only using like 20 pound tackle. Um, so, I mean, imagine, uh, this actually the circle hooks that we use on sailfish in Costa Rica are literally the exact same ones I use for redfish in Tampa Bay. Wow. Uh, it's two to three, you know, circle hooks, just thin wire, um, just little hooks. So you're, we're holding rods and we're actually, uh, we're holding, uh, some people do it different, but I hold I hold the rod at free spool. Um, so I, I set the hook with my thumb. Um, so it's once you get the bite, you kind of feed them, and then uh, basically you can you can set the hook with your thumb. Uh, once that fish is hooked, and let's say we do the two laps around, I'm the only one that has the fish on. You know, eventually we're like, okay, everybody reel in, let's go get this fish. Um, and the, the the videos go one of two ways. They they go viral because of the comments. You know, people think rather just purposely trying to sink the boat and, and be an idiot but right what we're do is actually back straight up onto that fish as fast as we can um and you're just as the angler you're reeling as fast as you can you don't want to give that that fish especially if it's a marlin you want to give them a chance to get down you know plane straight down so if you can keep them on top of the water and get back to them as fast as possible get that leader touch that's all it takes in the tournament and you pop them off and move on if i'm fishing a jig you can bet it's going to be an eye strike texas eye 
Dave and Ralph at iStrike have built the most versatile and durable lineup of jigs in the saltwater industry. Whether you need a finesse presentation on spooky wintertime redfish, or you need to hop a big swim bait on deep water structure for cobia and bull redfish, iStrike has the jig for you. Be sure to check out their website and use code EC10 for up to 40% off all iStrike products and 10% off all Z-Man products. The code can only be used at iStrikeFishing.com and you can find the code and the link to their website in the podcast show notes. There is no stealthier platform to fish the shallow water flats, creeks, and marshes than a pedal drive kayak. The P127 from Bonafide is my choice when I want to get out on a solo trip and access the areas that I can't get to on a flat skiff or a bay boat. It happens far too often in a boat where I have redfish and plenty of water in the back of a creek or bay, but there's a sandbar or series of sandbars between me and the fish and I just can't quite make it to casting distance. But with a kayak, I can drag across the sandbar right to them. Be sure to check out the full lineup of Bonafide Kayaks on the website or at Hook, Line, and Paddle here in Wilmington. I will have a link to the Bonafide website in the show notes as well. That's, uh, it, it is so cool, tournament fishing, and I mean, even watching bass anglers tournament fish. I remember I was watching, uh, we were in Raleigh, uh, my brother's a big bass angler, bass fisherman, and we were watching one of the MLF tournaments like two years ago, and it was Mike Iconelli, and he was fishing the he's a pretty most people know who that is if they've watched any, any bass fishing but um he was fishing these laydowns in this like narrow part of a lake and he was he'd, he'd be in his seat his driver's seat with his life jacket on get up on plane with his not up on plane actually his trolling motor would still be down he'd go as fast as he could plowing with his trolling motor still down so he could jump up throw his life jacket off run up make two casts of the spinner bait along a lay down and then go to the next one and do the same thing run back throw his life jacket on plow to the next one come up there two or three casts next one and we watched him do that on like seven trees and then catch like a six and a half pounder on a spinner bait and and for me to fish all those trees it would have taken an hour you know but he was yeah. confident in throwing that one bait that he could maybe get the right bite and he did it was pretty cool i mean and just to yeah. see how you know, just understanding and knowing what you're doing um, and being confident in what you're doing can be so important in fishing. I'm not saying everyone should go out and fish like that. I feel like maybe for a lot of people that could take some of the fun out of fishing, fishing that fast. But um, it, it's just cool to see people, you know, like like you're explaining the sail fishing, just knowing that fishery and how to fish that way so well. And, and it's like an art. It's an art, but also a science at the same time. So, um do you do you feel about the same way? Do you take the tarpon fishing kind of the same way? Pretty scientific and pretty you know hardcore about it. I feel like a lot of tarpon tarpon guides are. Yeah, um, I'd say the biggest benefit on on tarpon uh, for me is is definitely being out there like literally seven days a week. Yeah. Um, I mean, from like May first and through uh, July fifteenth, every single day. Uh, so being out there seven days a week, that's you kind of get dialed into these fish. Um, and it's not consistent. I, I am not going to say I'm going to catch, you know, six tarpon every single day. You might have an eight fish day followed by a one fish day and then a four fish day. It, it can right. go up and down. You know, the more you're out there on this fish and you're like, okay, on this tide cycle, they're doing this, they're going to move there. Um, and it, it's funny too, because tarpon is one of those that no matter how good you are, um, uh, they're still going to be sneaky and, you know, they go off short of spawn on the moons. Um, and it could be, we don't know exactly. It's a guessing game. You know, I get clients calling me a year in advance to book their trips, you know, on the, the day of the full moon or the day before or the day after thinking that's the best day. And it's, 
yeah, I, I wish someone had them dialed in. I could look at a calendar and say, hey, here's your, your best fishing day for right, them. Right. But, yeah, if you're out there, if I were to go three or four days off the water during tarpon season and get back out there, I'd, I would start almost from scratch because um, those fish, they, they just get in their little intricate uh, patterns. And it's, uh, it's fun when you get dialed in because on my long, like, 12-hour trip, uh, I'll have some people want to fish two tide cycles and, um, you know, in the slack tide in the afternoon, it's almost like we get so dialed in and I can tell people, Hey, for the next 90 minutes, we're not going to get a bite no matter what we do. So let's just go somewhere and grab lunch. Um, and then you can get dialed in and say, okay, we're done with lunch, you know, give another 10 minutes. Okay. Now I see the tide moving like this, like they're going to stack up on this bar at this spot. And it's, it's, it's cool and it works out. It's not a hundred percent, but. When you can do that, uh, they, they, you know, you look like a, a hero. Uh, sure. and it, ha- yeah, it does happen where you can pull to a spot. You say, give them 10 minutes, they'll show up from that direction. Here they come just like a like a train on schedule. Yeah, that's super cool. I, I feel like that's one of the really cool things about tarpon and also one of the really frustrating things is, you know, they're, they move. They're, for such a big fish, they're such a victim of the tide. You know, like redfish and trout and stuff, they might stay in the exact same spot at all tides, but tarpon can move miles, you know. And so staying on top of that and understanding that, you know, is there's so much, can be so much more to it than other inshore species like that might move. You know, they might have been right up on the edge of the grass at high tide, the redfish, and now they're, you know, on that oyster bar that's 10 feet away. So their their world's a lot smaller. Um, Yeah. It it can be. Do it. Uh, I was gonna say that's what I tell people too. It's um, I used to golf a lot. I, now fishing's kind of eating up on my time, but yeah, if, if I've seen that with people that they can golf the same golf course seven days a week, and and I get both arguments. You know, some people are like, well, that's boring. You're you're literally golfing the exact same eighteen holes every single day, uh, but the hole placement moves. The the wind is different. You know, it's, it might be the same course, but it's a it's a different game almost every time you go out. Same thing with these tarpon. You're fishing in the same area, but, uh, you know, a 24 hour span, you could be doing stuff completely different. It's, it's like playing in a, a new golf course or a new, new ballpark every single day. Most definitely. So tell me, what is your, what's your breakdown of tackle as far as how you're fishing for, for your tarpon, but also your inshore fish? Yeah. So, um, well, inshore, um, let's start with that. Cause that's, that's real basic. And I, I keep it pretty simple. Um, I'll carry a bunch of different, you know, leader sizes and hook sizes. But I would say if you got on my boat, a uh, 99% of the time, you're going to see me with, uh, like seven and a half foot rods, uh, medium heavy. Uh, that's, that's pretty much across the board. Um, and then a, like a 4,000 series, uh, reel. That's to me, that's a go to. You got enough drag and the flying capacity. Um, so you got your 4,000 series reel on a seven and a half foot rod, um, 15 pound braid. And then uh, 25 pound fluorocarbon. Um, so I, I like to throw live bait and artificials. Uh, if I'm throwing, if I'm throwing live bait, I'm using a, a two or a three out circle hook. Um, you know, tied on that for like a three foot liter of fluorocarbon. Um, and then I'm I'm throwing basically white bait, um, which I, you know, call them pilchers, white bait, scaled sardines. Uh, it's kind of my my go to live bait. Uh, when it comes to artificials, I'm throwing a Eighth ounce jig head um, with a little John, a mirror little uh, mirror lure, little John. Oh yeah, that's, uh, those are popular like, here as well. <laughs> yeah. It's such so a that, dumb little pl- soft plastic, but it works so well. It does, and and you know my clients, whether it be kids or people new in, in, new to fishing or whatnot, um, it's hard for me to 
to look at someone and say, Hey, here's, here's a top water cast this over there and, you know, walk the dog. That's uh, right. kind of a, a learned thing. I don't expect every one of my clients to get on the, on the boat and do that. And if, if you don't work certain lures the, the right way, you're not going to get a bite. For sure. Um, what I love about this little John is kind of like, you know, I'll show people, I'll do one cast. And I go, Hey, here's how I do it. You know, the twitch, twitch, let it drop. And I go, that's, that's just how I do it. But if you don't get a bite and forecast, switch it up. Um, or, you know, here's how it works. It's, it's going to be erratic anyways. So however you want to do it, go for it. Prime example, just, uh, like three days ago on the boat, I had a family. It was a, a dad, uh, two brothers and a, and a, and a sister, a little sister. So that girl, I think was seven and the, the two brothers were teenagers. Um, and they, they all fished, but the teenage boys, you know, they were, they were doing what I thought was the right way to throw those. They were throwing in front of the boat, good cast, you know, working it right. And the, uh, the poor girl got the, the back of the boat. We were drift fishing too. Um, she got the back of the boat, worst spot on the boat, casting behind the boat. I mean, I didn't think she had a shot at it. I was trying to like get her up front. She's like, no, no, I'm good right here. You know, casting 10 feet from the boat. She, she outfished everybody on the boat doing what I would say. <laughs> That's so, uh, awesome. Those lures, she was barely even working it. It was just kind of drifting it, but it's, it's just a good all around lure with a ton of flexibility for people to, to use for the first time. Yeah, it really is, man. It's very sporadic, like you said, and, and darts and jumps around real, real nicely. So it's a, uh, it's one uh, real popular, um, for bi- people that target speckled trout a bunch up here. They love the little John, uh, like them for yeah. redfish too, like them for redfish too, but, but a really popular speckled trout lure for sure. Um, cool. I mean, with your tarpon fishing, what's your, what's your go-to setup? Yep. So tarpon, I run, run a couple, you know, different, we, we fish them completely different, even the same day, whether I'm, uh, you know, kind of sight casting off the beach or, um, crab fishing, um, you know, fishing flush tides, it goes a lot of different ways. So I'd, I'd say I have like two or three kind of go-to setups, but the most popular, uh, setup I would have is like, a I don't use as long a rods on those, um, only cause you know, the fear of clients high sticking, which is, you know, not really their fault at the end of a fight and so excited, but, um, I, I kind of like something a little bit stoutier, uh, as far as the rods, yeah. so it's, uh, like, you know, six and a half or seven foot rods. And then the, uh, those 8,000 series, uh, Florida fishing products reels, mm-hmm. um, those have been absolutely bulletproof for me. Um, I think I'm on my third season with those. Thank you. Um, and I know that they've been dunked in the water. They've been beat up. They've been they've been uh, absolutely abused on hundreds of tarpon, and they're flawless. Um, so that's I can't say enough enough good things about those. But that's a eight thousand series, you know, Florida fishing product reel. It's, um, I'll use either fifty or sixty five pound braid, and then uh, my leaders. I'll, I'll use a longer leader on that, um, even though it's not a tournament. I still want to get people their official leader touches, so I'll right. use like an eight or foot leader um on my tarpon stuff uh with an fg knot so it'll go through the guides so uh tie fg and that's uh, when it comes to tarpon fishing that is one thing i'll use anywhere from 40 to 80 pound uh leader and i'll switch throughout the day um that, that's one thing i, I definitely kind of picky on watercolor because we'll fish in the same day when we're fishing an incoming and outgoing tide um it's almost like completely different you got gin clear water on the incoming tide and you got basically mud on the outgoing yeah so we'll switch leaders throughout the day. Um, and then, you know, depending on what we're fishing, uh, crabs or, or uh, chunk bait or, you know, I, I'll even this year, especially I'm going to throw a lot more artificials at tarpon. It seems like that's kind of the trend and it seems like it's working pretty well. Yeah. Heck yeah. 
what would you so when you're fishing a crab are you kind of drifting those are you sight fishing with a crab or how, how, what does that what look like in tampa yeah so uh if we're beach fishing uh then, then i'm sight fishing them so actually uh, a lot of times i'll use a cork um yeah if it's a past crab the past crabs will want to stay on top of the water but uh blue crabs work really well and if you don't have a cork uh what happens to the blue crab is you cast them out there in front of a school of fish and you know, your heart's going cause you're like, okay, we're, we're going to get bit my bait. I can see my line. My bait is right in front of these fish. Here they come. <laughs> so it happens more often than not that the school will swim right by your bait. You, you reel it in, you go, wow, I don't know. I can't believe I didn't get bit. But the thing about blue crabs, when you cast them out there in the water column, they can, they can sense and see those fish. Uh, when they see them, they actually swim straight to the bottom. They can bury down in the sand. Wow. So, even though your the scope of your line is where you want it to go in front of those fish, your your bait is two inches under the sand. So uh, corks definitely corks on the beach, um, and then we're we're kind of staying still and sight casting or you know getting on the trolling motors a little bit, um, just getting in front of the schools. And then on your outgoing flush tides, um, that's that's the big thing with all the pressure now in Tampa Bay. You know, it's, there's there's not many like hidden spots anymore. Um, you know, on a, on a full moon outgoing tide, it's, it's not uncommon to be fishing around 80 to 120 boats. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, it's, it kind of becomes like a, an etiquette thing, but, uh, we are drift fishing. So you a lot of times you get on your big motor and, and go outside of the, the school of boats, if you will, um, get all the way up tide and shut your, your motor off and then drift through with two or three crabs, you know, kind of next to the boat. Gotcha. Uh, if everyone works together, it's, it's really fun, but uh, I always joke. I'm like, man, if somebody wants to do the next, you know, drama queen TV show, just come out here to Tampa Bay in tarpon season, and uh, <laughs> all of the certain little little high school girls crying and whining and yelling, and uh, it's, it's, there's there's plenty of drama on a daily basis out there. My wife might watch a, a fishing TV show if it's kind of like set up like that. Maybe so, like a love affair in there too. But um, <laughs> yeah. that sounds yeah, pretty funny. It, it's it's definitely set up for it. I, I joke about it every year, and I'm like, man, it's, that that could be my retirement plan. Just have a, a good camera. <laughs> yeah, definitely. My wife always jokes. She, she's uh she's been a hairstylist for fifteen years, maybe. And uh, sorry about cough there. Um, fifteen years or so, and you know, I I I've learned hairstylists are kind of assumed to be maybe more dramatic human beings than others, and. Uh, she's like, man, I've, she's been in different salons. Now she does her own thing going on, but she said that she's never seen a hairstylist or a group of hairstylists that, that are more dramatic than fishing guides. And so <laughs> I, uh, I think she might be into that, that show for sure. But, um, but yeah, man, that, that's cool. I love talking about tarpon fishing, especially this time of year. I know it's on everybody's mind and, and whatnot. What are some of the other fisheries that, uh, or, or fish that you target? And I know you travel quite a bit. Um, is that all billfish or when you're traveling to other parts of the world, are you fishing inshore, like tackle shallow water, anything like that? Yeah, pretty much all. I mean, the Bahamas will dabble with a little, little bit of shallow water stuff, but, um, yeah, I mean, the, the main travel places are, uh, Costa Rica for sure. And that's, that's pretty much all, uh, you know, sailfish and billfish or sailfish and marlin. Um, then we'll do the, the Key West marlin tournament, um, down in the Keys. We do that every July. Uh, same thing as your pelagics and then uh, the Bahamas, we do quite a bit. Um, and it's, we're doing pelagics in the Bahamas, but uh, more more focused on like our tuna and dolphin, like more more eating fish over yeah. there. Thank you. Now, is that all um, tournament based fishing? Are you running or hosting and running trips on, in those areas, or what does that look like? 
No, eventually. So uh, there's actually a, a boat down in Costa Rica. Uh, my buddy's uh, teammate. Um, he's he's got a boat that should be up and running here any day. Uh, but we got Costa Rica, you know, Tico time. So that's uh, that we've been saying that for a few years. But <laughs> that boat awesome. should hopefully be up and running here, like I said, any day. But uh, I would say hopefully in the next month or so. And then that's that's something that I can always always send trips to, um, you know, cater to, to people who would want to, you know, fish with me down there, but, uh, the boat will be running full time. So that's, Sweet. that's kind of yeah. a good, I get a lot of people that traveled here, um, to fish with me and then I can also send them down there. So it'd be a cool kind of, you know, global circuit. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Now in Florida is, is your guiding pretty much all the inshore stuff or are you running some of the offshore stuff here? And yeah, I'm pretty much all inshore. Um, you know, the federal permits is a big thing, so we we stay within nine miles. Um, they're 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 pretty hardcore on that, and it's also you know you're dealing with a, a federal law. So even on my trips where I'm out there, you know, six, seven, eight miles, it's uh, it's kind of kind of dicey. You just don't want to cross that nine mile uh, you know line out there because now you're in federal permits, which are you know thirty five to forty thousand dollars. That kind of that kind of separates the inshore and the offshore guides here. Yeah. Um, so I, I stick to my guns. I do a ton of, it's confusing because I actually do a ton of offshore fishing out there, but it's, you know, on private boats, gotcha. um, gotcha. you know, that's the negative of, uh, social media. People see that, you know, that follow me and they go, Hey, I want to book a trip, you know, next week for a grouper or snapper or whatever offshore. And it's, you know, luckily I got a lot of good offshore guys I refer to, but yeah, home base here is, uh, you know, pretty much all, all inshore. Nice. So you're mostly redfish snook right now. When did you say your tarpon kicks off for the spring? Yep. So I, I start running tarpon trips May first, um, only because I don't I don't want to you know shoot my guns too early if they're not here and start yeah, booking sure. trips. You know, for these people that travel, but um, I mean they're 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 starting to already show up now. So that's uh, that's a good good sign. We've had a a lot of warmer weather. We had a really warm uh, winter here. So, um, you know, those fish, it's, it's a tough thing too, because people always ask me when is tarpon season? Well, it's not a, it's not an open closed season. Like, you know, I, when I say May 1st to people, that's just when I feel comfortable, I know we can go out and target them. Right. Right. Uh, I've caught them as early as, uh, you know, St. Patrick's day before on March 17th. Wow. That's that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, man, thanks for chatting with me today. Uh, I'm going to link in the show notes all your information so people can get up with you, uh, book a trip and whatnot. But can you share with people how they can find you, maybe on social media as well as your website before we end? Sure, yeah. The uh, the worst way to get a hold of me is uh, by phone. I'm pretty sure my voicemail is full, and uh, I'm on the water seven days a week. So <laughs> phone's not the best. Uh, however, text message is okay, um, and that's 727-692-6664. Uh, but probably the easiest way, Instagram is uh, at Captain, C-A-P-T, dot Ryan Harrington. And the website is NoBananasFishing.com. NoBananasFishing.com. I, I like it. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm with you on that. We could we could probably have done a whole No Bananas podcast. Maybe that's our next one. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Well, man, thanks for hopping on and chatting. Um, this is actually going to go out today. So if you're the first listener of this podcast, I just finished recording it. But I've uh, I've had a cold for the past week and a half, and so I haven't really been able to tackle a podcast until now. And um, so I'll, uh, I'll, I'll alert you here in a few minutes when I put it up, Ryan. <laughs> Awesome. All right. That sounds good. I appreciate it. It's good talking to you. Yeah, for sure. You as well. And we'll have to do it again sometime. And uh, guys, as always, thanks for listening to the Eastern Current Podcast. And we will see you all next week. Later. If you're anything like me, you like a clean boat. 
That's why I've chosen to partner with Carolina First Made out of South Carolina. Carolina First Made is a family-owned business that provides environmentally friendly boat cleaning alternatives. My two favorite products are their hole cleaner that doesn't harm your trailer and their boat wash. Be sure to use code EC15 for 15% off your online purchase. If you're interested in checking out all their products, you can find a link to their website in the podcast show notes.